When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get this thing started. We are live, my guy. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. Well, without further ado, what's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, happy New Year, brother. Same to you, my guy. I got to ask you, uh, how was your New Year's? I imagine uh, you guys must have must have done something fun uh, over the eh. year festivities. Not really. I mean, like, I went to my folks' house. I brought the dog. We all got to really hang out. Mom, dad, little brother. Um, had a couple of drinks, smoked a cigar. But, I mean, like, right after the ball dropped, this is how I'm getting old. Or should I say how I know I'm getting old? For I was in bed by, like, 1210. I said, Happy New Year. Called my girl. Kissed my parents. And then I went right to bed. Swear. Out cold. What about you? Um, I had, well, I had to work on New Year's. And uh, oh, shit. I, I kind of had a crazy route. So, I didn't finish the, uh, I didn't leave work until, like, 9 nine fifteen. so after work i was just kind of like done so i went over to my parents place for a little bit uh kicked it there i think we ended up playing yahtzee for a little bit before uh before midnight and then after that i think we just just kind of kicked it and chilled we also did watch the uh the college football playoffs yeah Dude, that i did both, see both of those games were phenomenal and um i know we don't have that on the agenda today but maybe before we wrap up the episode, maybe we'll just kind of like quickly touch on both of those games since bro, that TCU-Michigan game was fire and the Ohio State-Georgia game was fire. So uh, there was no defense in those games whatsoever. Either one, yeah. But nonetheless, I thought overall for that college football playoff, I thought it was fantastic. So I know we have a lot to get to today. Um, we've got some NFL topics to hit. We've got some NBA topics to hit. We'll talk a little bit about LeBron and Luka. But Kev, you ready to dive into these topics real quick? Yes, sir. Let's bring in 2023 with a bang. Yes, sir. So uh, first things first, we'll go off the Bucks winning the NFC South to kick things off. Uh, they get revenge against the Panthers. Uh, you know, granted, you know, the Bucks are not that good of a team this year, but nonetheless, they win the NFC South. And as far as I see it, they have a date with the Dallas Cowboys in the first round of the playoffs. After that, we'll kick it over to the Eagles losing a stunning game to the Saints. Uh, the Eagles have been one of the best teams in the NFL this year. And with one week to go, what seemed to be a surefire thing of the Eagles getting the number one seed is not necessarily locked up with one week left to go before the playoffs start. So we'll talk about that. Uh, after that, we'll talk about the Packers just absolutely beating down the Vikings at home. Uh, the Packers keep their playoff hopes alive. And with the Vikings, the Vikings have now lost the number two seed in the NFC. The 49ers have hopped them to take that number two spot in the NFC conference. And we'll just kind of talk a little bit about the Packers keeping their playoff hopes alive and the Vikings faltering at probably one of the worst times you can think of. After that, we'll kick it over to the Patriots keeping their playoff hopes alive, uh, beating the Dolphins in a competitive game. That whole AFC uh, wild card race is a logjam, uh, to say the least. There's a lot of teams competing for that last wild card spot. And we'll talk about if the Patriots can possibly get that, or if there's some other teams that can come into the fold and take that last 
spot in the AFC wildcard race. And then the last game that we'll talk about in the NFL from week 17 will be a shootout that took place between the 49ers and the Raiders. Uh, like I just said a couple seconds ago, the 49ers uh, overtook the Vikings for that number two seed in the NFC. And we'll talk about, are the 49ers the most dangerous team in the NFL to possibly compete for a Super Bowl? Because, Kev, I, I don't think they've lost a game in over two months. So they've been on an absolute heater, and we'll see where it goes from here. After that, we'll talk about um, some NBA topics. Luka's on an absolute hot streak. LeBron's on a hot streak. And then to round things out, we may touch on the college football playoff games that we saw from this past weekend. So, Kev, I know we got a lot to get to. A little bit different since, you know, we're live on this one. It's not something that we typically do, but it was just nice that we had today off. So let's dive into these topics and let's go over this Bucks game, which was a fun game nonetheless from what we saw this past weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I just want to make sure that we're, in fact, live. I'm on YouTube just trying to make sure that, you know, the image is coming out clear and it says that it's still waiting for us to, I guess, upload. I don't know. I've refreshed a couple of times. Quite frankly, it says just waiting for us. So just thought I'd let you know before we, we move any further. I mean, I mean, if anything, we could just upload it after. So All right. No worries. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. But Gotcha. So without further ado, we're going to go right into that NFC South. I guess you can't really call it a, 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 a crapshoot because, quite frankly, it ended up being a lot more entertaining than we both thought. But the Panthers end up falling to the division champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is three division titles for Tom Brady in three years in Tampa. So not exactly a surprise there. I think he has 19 division titles in 22 or 23 years of playing, which is just ridiculous in terms of his winning percentage. But here we are yet again. So, I mean, it it looked like it was going to be a pretty boring game based off of their last exchange, based off of how bad the Buccaneers have been performing on the offensive side the last couple of weeks. And then you end up having not necessarily a shootout, but a quarterback duel. Sam Darnold had over 300 yards. Tom Brady had a game of the season with 432 yards. So, Kyle, what are your thoughts on how the Buccaneers got it done? And uh, are they going to be able to make some noise in this year's playoffs? Well, it looked like the Bucks of old. And honestly, it's been a long time coming for the Bucks to have a performance like this. Um, Kevin, we talked about this game last week. Um, we basically had this as like a really low scoring game where, you know, it'd be lucky if the Bucks scored 15 to 20 points. And I mean, the way that I see it right now off of what they did this past weekend against the Panthers, it's just about time. I mean, Brady looked like his usual self. I mean, Brady had over 400 yards passing. He almost had 450 yards passing in a season where we have not seen that in any capacity whatsoever. Uh, Mike Evans had a career day. He had over 200 yards receiving. He had 10 catches, had three touchdowns. Uh, he secured another 1,000-yard season. That's nine seasons in a row where he's able. he's been able to do that. The only person who has more uh, consecutively is Jerry Rice. So, when you're putting Mike Evans in that type of category alongside Jerry Rice, man, that's that's good company to be a part of. And you know, when it comes to the Bucks, the Bucks needed this. And you know, when the game started out, it, it did not look really that good for the Bucks going into the fourth quarter. They were down 21 to 10, and it seemed as if the Panthers, through the first three quarters, they pretty much controlled the tempo of the game, and. I'll just say Brady showed up in the fourth quarter and really made some big time plays, especially to Mike Evans, that not only got the Bucs back into the game, but actually led some 
pretty solid drives that ended up in touchdowns instead of settling for field goals. And that was really the biggest thing for me was, you know, usually when it comes to the Bucks this year, they have not been able to capitalize in the red zone to score touchdowns. And there are still some issues with them in the red zone. They had to settle for some field goals in that game against the Panthers, but they were able to put points on the board via touchdowns this time. And honestly, what seems like light years compared to, or I, Light years probably isn't the right word. I should say it's been a long time since we've seen the Bucs put up points in this type of manner because I think the last time they scored 30 points in a game or more was against the Chiefs. And granted, that was in a loss, but that was that was probably like two, two and a half months ago. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen the Bucs had that type of output. Now, when it comes to where the Bucs go from here, it's going to come down to whether or not that the offense can be able to put up points. And when it comes to their track record this year, that has not been the case. This is the first time where they've been able to effectively score and Brady's looked like his typical self. And the offense has finally gotten their rhythm. But, you know, maybe this is just a fluke. Maybe this is just a one-time thing. And it may not necessarily lead to just this being a consistent theme for the rest of the regular season, which is only one week. And then whether or not it carries into the playoffs, we'll see. But... I mean, as far as I see it, they've secured a first-round playoff uh, matchup against the Dallas Cowboys um, as long as the Eagles don't falter. And then, you know, potentially they would have to play the Eagles if the Eagles were to lose that number one seed. And then potentially the Cowboys would get that number one seed. But, I mean, who knows? Even the 49ers could get the number one seed. So it's honestly kind of a toss-up at this point, depending on how things play out. But when it comes to the Bucks, I take this game with a little bit of a grain of salt because the track record just doesn't support the offense putting up points like this. The only thing that I know is a surefire thing to bank on when it comes to the Bucks is their defense. Their defense has been solid the entire year. And as far as I see, if the Bucks are going to win games, it's going to be based on that Bucks defense playing sub, not subpar football, playing a plus football as far as I see it. And then the Bucks offense putting up enough points to be able to stave off uh, an opposing team. I think that's going to be their best chance for success here. Overall, you know, Bucks get the NFC South locked up. I mean, an 8-8 eight eight record, that's not that impressive. But nonetheless, somebody has to win the division. They got it. And really, it's up to them, depending on how they want to play the rest of this year out. And we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But, Kev, I'm still not really confident in them. Uh, they just don't have a lot of consistency, as far as I see, on the offensive side of the ball. And until I see otherwise... I can't really bank on them for the foreseeable future. That's just how I see it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I completely agree. Just because they show up for one game against an inconsistent opponent in the Panthers doesn't necessarily make them a threat in the playoffs. Now, again, I will not sit here and falter and, and critique Tom Brady like he hasn't won seven Super Bowls. Anything is possible. But I, I could not agree more. I mean, aside from that, and going into this game, I mean, like Kyle said, when when Carolina took the lead, it really looked like, Sam Darnold was just going to continue to kind of ride the wave that he's been on. Not necessarily a hot streak of sorts, but he's been very, very consistent. He's been taking care of the football, and the Panthers have been doing relatively well. So, I mean, I I, I just thought that Tampa was going to fold. Tom Brady was going to check out. This was definitively going to be that, I'm done, I'm out of here, I can't even beat the Panthers, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I mean, he very well still may leave to go to Vegas or wherever. Um, there's just rumors attached to where Tom Brady's going to be this next season. But for right now, they won the division. Mike Evans 
had the game of the year in terms of for himself, and Tom Brady went and had his best game of the season. It's almost like they've been able to do this all year. They just haven't had the right opportunities. Now, I'm not going to go out and say that their connection has been off. You know, their chemistry might be faltering because they're trying to feed Julio, not Julio Jones, uh, Chris Godwin a lot. But can't even make that argument because Chris Godwin had a huge game himself. So, I mean, like combined, they had 327 yards just between those two receivers. Brady was on fire. Brady looked like the Brady of old, and it just went to show that it's never completely been on Brady. It's never all been on his shoulders as to why the Buccaneers have been bad. Because we have to continue to circle back and say their incapability to run the football is a problem. A team that is not balanced is not going to go far in the postseason. You need a good running attack, you need a good quarterback, and you need a solid defense. They have two out of the three. When you can't run the ball and, 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 and have that play action working for you and keep the ball away from the other team and kind of eat up the clock, you're not going to be able to put other teams away late with a lead. They had 67 total rushing yards on the ground for 2.7 yards per carry. And they had 25 attempts. So it's not like they abandoned the run game. They went evenly, almost completely with Leonard Fournette and, and Rashad White. Leonard had 10 touches. Rashad White had 11s. They, they both did not scrape over 20 yards. So, excuse me, they did not both scrape over 30. That is the biggest point of concern. When you go and you face a team in the playoffs where it's win or go home, you can't just continue to rely on your 44, 45-year-old quarterback for 45 passing attempts. So, again, credit to the Bucks for doing what they needed to do. They won a game that they needed to in order to seal their ticket into this year's playoffs. But going forward, I'm not going to look too much into this game for the, sheer, for the sheer fact of this was against the Panthers, and that is not a slight. It is just a fact. There's a reason why they're 6-10. and 10. There's a reason why the NFC South is going to be represented by a team of 9 or 8 or 8 and 9 as the best record. Or excuse me, or yeah, 8 and 9. My bad. I can't do math. It's early in the morning. But uh, it, was a, it was a good game nonetheless. Happy to see Tom, you know, kind of end the season on a good note. If they were to rest their starters for next week, it wouldn't really make a difference. No reason to go and put them out there. Not like seeding is going to go any higher and you've already won the division. So at the end of the day, Tampa moves on for the third year in a row and they're going to the playoffs. Well, Kev, I think it's just fair to say at this point, um, any sort of expectation that you and I may have about the Bucks trying to establish any sort of consistent, well-balanced offensive strategy, it's just not going to work. This is pretty much an offense that's going to be 75% pass and 25% run. And it's simply just because the offensive line just can't consistently open up run lanes for Leonard Fournette and, you know, the rest of the Bucks running back core. And, I mean, to be fair, I, I think the Bucks have some good running backs at their disposal. It's just you have to be able to win that line of scrimmage battle. And they just haven't been able to do it consistently the entire year. And it's had a domino effect when it comes to Brady's effectiveness in the pocket there have been times where Brady has very limited time to work with and it's just the whole timing of the offense has been sped up because either a someone's going to get called for holding or if he holds the ball too long he's going to get sacked and did Jensen come back in this game or is he is he available for the postseason well I think they designated him to return I think they give him like a three-week window yeah the 21 day window whatever yeah they I think they did that two weeks ago so I don't know if he's going to come back for the last regular season game, but there is a potential that he could come back for the the first round playoff game that they have against Dallas or potentially Dallas. We'll kind of see how whoever comes out with the fifth seed. Exactly. So, yeah, if there's a chance that he comes back, I think that definitely improves and bolsters that offensive line. To what extent? I'm not 100% sure. I think it will help because I think he's pretty much 
I would say he's probably the general for that offensive line. I think his presence would probably stabilize some things. I'm not saying it's going to correct everything, but hey, when you add somebody like that back into the fold going into the playoffs, that's definitely a boost in the right direction for the Bucks. But yeah, I, I, I think just to really round this out, you know, when it comes to the Bucks, I'm not going to make too much of this one game. Granted, it was nice to see kind of a return to form from Brady, Mike Evans, that whole Bucks offense compared to what they did last year, because this game was very reminiscent of what the Bucks have been the last two years, where they were scoring essentially 30 plus points per game or around that mark since Brady arrived in Tampa. It's just now can we see that consistently? And as far as I see it, that's just not the case. I have to see more consistency for them uh, until they change my mind. But uh, with that said, we will transition to one of the more stunning results that we saw from week 17. And that was the New Orleans Saints going on the road and beating the Philadelphia Eagles by the score of 20 to 10. Now, obviously, the biggest caveat of this game was Jalen Hurts did not play in this game. Gardner Minshew uh, was the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. But nonetheless, the New Orleans Saints go on the road, uh, provide a shocking uh, upset over the Eagles. And Kev, this is the interesting take that I think I want to pose the question to you on this one. This number one seed for the Eagles, it is not locked up in the NFC. What seemed like a surefire thing maybe two or three weeks ago, that's no longer the case. And there are some teams that are nipping at the Eagles' heels right now. You've got teams like the Cowboys in their own division. You've got the 49ers who are just on an absolute heater where they haven't lost a game in over two months. And going into the last week of the season, I mean, the Eagles got to be on their P's and Q's here if they want to get this number one seed. So my question to you is, how much trouble are the Eagles in with them faltering of late? And do you think that this number one seed that they have in the NFC is actually at stake going into the last week of the regular season? Absolutely. I mean, Philly had their opportunity to pretty much seal their fate a multitude of times, right? They've had the opportunity to go out there and just solidify, you know what, this is what needs to be done. This is what we need to do. One game. Albeit the Dallas game was a shootout. Both defenses weren't necessarily around because it ended up being, what, 40 to 34. And it, it just was very uncharacteristic for both teams. And of course, Gardner Minshew, everybody thought, wow, maybe it really is the system. 355 yards, two touchdowns. Like the offense seemed to be flowing. He got into a rhythm a little bit later than expected, but it ended up happening, which is good. And then you go into this year, or excuse me, this game. And he looked horrible. But I will prevy once again to stress the importance of the offensive line. Their all-pro right tackle, Lane Johnson, was out. He has a torn abdomen or a torn tendon in his abdomen, and he is out until the postseason. And supposedly, he is putting off surgery to at least compete and be there for his team. I think Lane Johnson hasn't allowed a sack in the last couple of seasons, like plural, multiple years from the right side in terms of responsibility for. That's ridiculous. He is arguably the best right tackle in the game. You go and you lose a player like that, that completely could destroy an offensive line. Pressure is going to be put on the right, which is why Cameron Jordan had three sacks because he lined up on the backup right tackle the entire game. There's a reason why Gardner Minshew was sacked six times in this game. There's a reason why there was consistent pressure in the backfield and that is because the Eagles' offensive line was atrocious this game. They were getting abused off the line of scrimmage. They had zero time of possession in terms of being able to actually uh, construct long drives in the first half. I think they only had three or four total drives, two of them being three and outs, and then one of them ending as the half completed. It's like 
This offense took way too long to get going. A.J. Brown was visibly upset. The run game was completely useless. Even though they were averaging four and a half yards a carry, the Eagles just looked like shells of themselves. The only reason why this team was even close to coming back was because of the defense. The defense sacked Gardner Minshew, excuse me, the defense sacked Taysom Hill and Andy Dalton seven times. But Andy Dalton started the game, I think, 14 of 14. It was ridiculous. He was carving them up. They weren't scoring a whole lot. They only had one touchdown and two field goals, but that pick six in the fourth quarter really ruined it. Uh, Minshew stared down A.J. Brown, and then Marcus Lattimore came down on the underneath coverage and just took that right to the house. So, I mean, you can really blame this on Gardner. You can blame this on the offensive line. Maybe you can even blame it on the play calling. But at the end of the day, this is not good for Philly because they're on a two-game skid. Their last game is against the Giants. Thankfully... The Giants just clinched a playoff spot, a wild card seed, with a victory over the Colts. So that means their seeding is locked. They're not going anywhere. They are going to be the sixth seed. Six, yeah. yeah, sixth seed because the fifth seed yep. is going to be either Dallas or Philly, and then that seventh seed is still available. So yeah, the Giants are are, are locked in at the at the six. So technically, New York can rest their starters, but with it being a rivalry, with it being New York and Philadelphia, it could be very petty. I don't know. If I'm Brian Dable, I am not letting my starters touch the field, especially Saquon Barkley. There's no reason to put them in jeopardy. There's no benefit to playing and winning. There's no uh, negative to losing this game. You are going to be the sixth seed no matter what. I'm not making excuses for Philly. I'm not going out there and saying that they need that to happen. I think that they can beat the Giants no matter what. Obviously, you saw that they almost dropped 50 on them a few weeks ago. But Jalen will have to play this game. Sadly, it's, it's, it's just unfortunate that... Your backup is not doing enough to let your starter rest from a potential, not career-ending, but season-ending shoulder injury because they said that he could have been out for at least a month, month and a half. But with it being the end of the season, they're going to rush him back because obviously they're going to need him. So, I mean, with that being said, if Jalen comes back, the Giants have no incentives. I wouldn't say I'm in panic mode. I say that the the, the Eagles are in wake-up-now mode because it's like, damn, we couldn't get it done. We needed to get it done. We should have been able to do this. And that wasn't the case. Obviously, A.J. Brown misses his boy. Devontae Smith is getting a shit ton of targets with um, Gardner Minshew being at the helm. Apparently, that's going to be his go-to guy. And then Dallas Goddard's getting himself acclimated back into the offense as well. So it looks good in certain pieces. But my biggest thing, it's got to be that offensive line. The Saints gave him a run for their money. Like I said, Cam Jordan had three sacks by himself. That is going to be a point of emphasis for Philadelphia moving forward. In the playoffs especially, it's win or go home. You do not get a week off. You do not get a week break. And if you don't clinch this bye right now, if you get inserted into a matchup against the four-seeded Buccaneers, that is going to be a pain-in-the-ass matchup because the Buccaneers' defense is no simple feat. And I'm not going to go out there and say that that offense of the Buccaneers is going to be something that they can walk over. But without Gardner Johnson, without being able to stop the run, I don't necessarily know if they're going to be a sure fit to go and beat Tampa. And if that's going to be an upset, that's back-to-back years that they would be upset by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that... Upset, Eagles... but beaten, beaten yeah. by the Buccaneers. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, I think last year, I think the Bucs just beat down the Eagles in that first round. So, I mean, it didn't really matter as far as I'm concerned. But the Eagles were trending in the right direction uh, before that yeah. playoff game. If, it's but... just like if you end on a three-game skid... And yeah. you go into a game where you have to go to Tampa. You're not home in Philly. The Bucks potentially could end the year on their own win streak. That's not a good look against Tom Brady in the playoffs. He's gonna, he's gonna be like, I, I, I bro, y'all about to lose. Tom like, Brady don't play. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, 
trust me, the Bucks would smell blood in the water at that point. Because, I mean, you know, there's a potential that the Eagles could lose three straight games. They would lose the number one seed, which, Kev, just a month ago, that would have been unimaginable. Laughable. Like, that would have been no, a laughable state. Had anybody told me that the Eagles could potentially lose that number one seed, I would have thought that you were crazy at the beginning of December. There, there was just no way I would have ever believed that. But, you know, Jalen goes down with the injury. Gardner fills in. And granted, you know, that Dallas game, I thought that was a relatively good performance from him. It, this was a stinker. And I will give credit to the Saints, though. Yeah, big you, shout out to the Saints. You, you know, you, you can criticize the Saints all that you want. But when it comes to their defense, Kev, I cannot slack or I cannot slight that Saints defense. Kev, like for the last like four or five games, that Saints defense has basically given up teen digit numbers in every single game that they've played. I think the last game they gave up over 20 points or around 20 points was against the Rams, and that was back in November. So they've got a pretty solid stretch with holding opposing teams to under 20 points. So I know the Saints aren't a phenomenal team. They're a sub-500 team, but that defense is nothing to slouch about. Now, to focus on the Eagles here, the Eagles got to get it together quick, fast, and in a hurry as far as I see it because if there's one thing that this performance from Gardner Minshew told me is that he is just not the guy to come in for relief and get it done with the Eagles. You know, you juxtapose it with what the 49ers have with Brock Purdy, who's their third-string quarterback. I mean, it's night and day difference. Brock Purdy, since coming in for the 49ers, he's kept that train rolling for the 49ers. And they haven't lost a game since he's coming for relief for Jimmy G. You you look at the Eagles, that has not been the case. You know, it was a shootout against Dallas. You know, that game could have gone either way, but Dallas gets a win. This is a game you're at home, you're going up against the Saints, who had something to play for, had the Bucks lost. And maybe there was a potential that they could kind of get that last uh, spot for the division. But, you know, when the Bucs won, that pretty much knocked the Saints out of playoff contention. But nonetheless, I, I thought the Saints played inspired football. And the Eagles just had no counter for that Saints pass rush. Like you said, Kev, if the Saints are getting five, six, seven sacks in that game, the amount of pressures that they were getting consistently throughout that game, it just threw the Eagles offense essentially into a tailspin as far as I see it. 10 points at home in a game where you know, I'm not saying it's a must-win game, but it's like you better win that game based on that number one seed potentially being at stake in week 18. And, you know, for them putting up 10 points in that game, that's a bad look. And I can't really fault the defense. I thought the defense for the Eagles played solid football. I mean, they only gave up 13 points. The other seven that the Eagles gave up was on a pick six that, like you said, Kev, in that fourth quarter, pretty much sealed it for the Saints. And I think when it comes down to it, you know, this Jalen injury, it really shows and it really highlights how impactful he is to this Eagles offense. And we have said multiple times throughout the year that Jalen is definitely somebody in that MVP discussion. And from what we've seen the last two weeks, you know, with Gardner being the starting quarterback for the Eagles, you can make a case that Jalen is the most impactful player on that offense because without him, they haven't been able to win a game since. So, you know, going up against the Giants in the last week of the season, that's not a gimme game. And like you said, Kev, depending on how the Giants want to play that game out, if they want to put their starters in to, to make it a competitive game simply because it is a rivalry game, this game could be a lot more competitive than people may expect just based on the circumstances with the Giants clinching that number six seed in the NFC playoffs. But like you said, Kev, I think they need Jalen to get back into the fold. 
I'm not really panicked about them uh, as far as just their playoff uh, capabilities. I still believe if they get in the playoffs, they're going to be a solid team nonetheless. It's just they got to get that number one seed if I'm in their shoes right now because, you know, you put yourself in a situation where you only had one loss two and a half weeks ago, and now we're sitting in the first week of 2023. Now you have three losses on your record and potentially a fourth if you lose against the Giants. You cannot have that going into the playoffs. The Eagles need to be ramping up for the playoffs, get a, a little bit of a hot streak, gain some momentum. And, you know, maybe this is a game against the Giants where maybe they can kind of get a kickstart again. Jalen goes back into the fold and it's, you know, it's smooth as butter going into the playoffs for the Eagles. But, you know, things are a little out of whack right now. And I'm not saying that things, you know, in Philly are, you know, great right now. But I do think that there's a good chance that they could round back into form against the Giants. But as far as I see it, Jalen has to play to keep their number one seed hopes alive because if they falter and they drop from that number one seed, potentially to a two seed or actually, I don't even think they would get a two seed. I think if they were to lose, the Cowboys could potentially get that number one seed. And then, you know, maybe even the 49ers could get the number one seed. It would be really kind of a crazy scenario if the Eagles were to lose that game. Uh, Things would just be in an absolute tailspin as far as I see it. But like I said, the Eagles, they got to really ramp up for this Giants game in week 18. And really, their path is in their hands with how they want to play the last game of the year out. And that's just how I see it, plain and simple. If the Giants want to be petty, which I'm not saying they're going to be, but with the energy that Brian Dable prevent, presents... I wouldn't be surprised if he plays them out so they don't get into a rut. The The Giants offense looked absolutely stellar yesterday against that Colts defense. You wouldn't want to have your offense take a break, so to speak. I'm not saying bench them immediately, but give them a quarter or two to really continue to get that momentum going. You know that Philly needs this win. You don't want your offense to go cold, so to speak. So I feel like Dable, depending on how it's going to go, will probably leave them in for about maybe the half. If it ends up being a blowout, like if Jalen comes in and just destroys that defense maybe you pull everybody just say you know what you know we tried we got everybody you know think we got their blood moving I'm not saying to not be competitive I'm not saying to go out there and risk the health just just to be again like I said petty but again it really just depends on the level of which Brian Dable wants to hold this team accountable to or accountable for yeah it's just it's like you said Kev it depends on if they want to be smart if they want to rest their starters going into the playoffs since they're locked in that number six seed. They're not going anywhere. It's up to the coach. And it's honestly that simple. But I think if the Giants want to play spoiler, I think they have every reason to. Agreed. And simply just because Especially of that. with it being Philly. Yeah. Now, granted, it is a home game for Philly. So, you know, I think that that Philly crowd, granted, <laughs> that Philly crowd could be some savages. Like, they are one uh. of the most passionate fan bases and that, that could be in a good way and a bad way as well, depending on whether the Eagles are winning or losing. But I think if Jalen comes back into the fold, granted, the Giants do have a stingy defense, so it's not going to be an easy task for the Eagles as far as I see it. But I think this just simply comes down to whether or not the Giants want to play spoiler. And we'll, we'll kind of we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, we'll we'll kind of figure that tone that they'll set throughout practice this week. And I imagine by the time that we record on Friday uh, for another episode, uh, we'll kind of get a better mindset of where the Giants' heads are at going into that Eagles game uh, this upcoming Sunday. But nonetheless, it should be an interesting game uh, to close out the regular season for that NFC. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. East. But uh, with that said, we will transition to our next game. And that is going to be just a stunning result from Green Bay this past weekend. The Packers just absolutely annihilate the Minnesota Vikings by the score of 41-17. to There was a point where the Green Bay Packers put up 41 unanswered points after the Vikings got the first score of the game. It was a field goal to put them up 3 nothing, And then the Packers did not look back until the fourth quarter when the Vikings got some garbage time touchdowns to improve the score. So this is a very interesting game to go over just because the Packers keep their playoff hopes alive, which, Kev, we, we talked about the Packers many times uh, in the late stages of November, uh, early stages of December, and it looked like the Packers were just absolutely dead in the water. Their playoff hopes looked absolutely abysmal, but the Packers have gone on a four-game win streak. And when it, you flip it to the Vikings, the Vikings actually have something to play for because since they lost this game, they no longer have control of the number two seed. That has now gone to the 49ers, and we've talked about this many times already. The 49ers are on an absolute hot streak. Despite having Brock Purdy as a third-string quarterback, they just keep finding ways to win games. And when it comes to the Vikings, the Vikings are faltering. So, Kev, I'm going to split this one into two questions for you. So, the first question I have for you is, do you think that the Packers have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs uh, this upcoming playoff? Um, actually, let me rephrase this. Do you think that the Packers can make the playoffs going into the last week of the season? And with the Minnesota Vikings faltering, how concerned are you about the Vikings going into the playoffs despite having a 12-4 and record? Well, I'll answer the first question. It's, it's, it's in the air for me, mainly because their last opponent of the year is the Lions. The Lions are competing for that same exact wildcard spot. The Lions have the same exact record at 8-8. Eight and eight, And this is going to be in Lambeau. So this is going to favor the Packers. I'm not going to go out there and say that I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick the Lions outright. But I can't just ignore what this Green Bay defense has been doing. Two defensive touchdowns this week. They completely annihilated Kirk Cousins. They're constantly in the backfield. They limited the run game. I mean, they were all over the place. And the biggest thing that screwed me over this weekend... I lost in my fantasy championship because Justin Jefferson was held to two points, one catch for 15 yards. Jair Alexander, if you're listening, damn you, because I wanted my money. But anyway, uh, this, this Green Bay defense has just shown up, man. There's not really much. There's there's not really a way to kind of go about it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't really do much. When you look at the stat line, people automatically think, oh, 41 points. Aaron Rodgers had to have four touchdowns. He only had 159 yards and one touchdown pass. No interceptions. So this was all on the shoulders of the defense. This was all on the shoulders of the running game because Aaron Rodgers also ran a touchdown in. But, I mean, you talk about the team as a whole, 163 yards on the ground. Aaron Jones had 100 yards, 7.9 yards per carry. It was ridiculous. Minnesota's defense was not able to stop anything Green Bay had going. Minnesota's offense could not get into any consistent rhythm. And Kirk Cousins had three turnovers. There's, there's really nothing you can say other than, wow, 
the Vikings look like the biggest sham in all of football right now because this is not their first 40-point blowout. Or excuse me, this isn't their first 30-point blowout. They got blown up by the Cowboys just a few weeks ago. They got torched by Indy in the first half, albeit they came back. But if anything, this shows this Vikings defense may be the worst defense in the playoffs. They've allowed multiple 30-point elaborations. That's a horrible word. They've allowed multiple 30-point games to where Kirk has to either play from behind or this offense has to continue to put out points when you should be able to rely on your run game to drain the clock. The offensive line of Minnesota has been in question all year. And you just look at it and you say, well, why are they in such high regard? Why is Minnesota so good? Oh, their record looks good, but when they go and they play teams that they should beat, it's like, I don't even know. They're like kind of like, they disappear. The Dallas game wasn't a fluke of, any, of anything because, I mean, Dallas just, what was that, Kyle? Like 40-something to, to, to three or something? It, it, oh it was an absolute blowout. I mean, Tony Pollard by himself just absolutely torched that Vikings defense. I, I think it was like 41 to three. It was just an absolute runaway of a game. It was just ridiculous. So I, I say that to go into the second question, the Vikings have, they're in immediate panic mode right now. You couldn't get your best playmaker the ball. Targeted five times, one catch. You could not get your quarterback into any type of rhythm. He was 18-31 with one touchdown and three interceptions. He had a QBR of 10 and a passer rating of 49. That is absolutely atrocious. So when you look at this and you say, well, our defense can't stop a nosebleed. Our offensive line can't hold up a stick. What are, we, what are, what, what are they going to do? They were the two seed for the longest. They've now faltered to the three. If they continue this method, not that they're going to fall to the four, they're probably going to stay at the third seed because San Francisco's not losing next week. I just I don't see them losing next week, and I don't even know who they're playing. It's just the, 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 the ride that they're on with the potential to go after the one seed and obviously to lock up the two seed, they have every incentive to play every single starter on that team. I know they had the worst defensive performance of the year for themselves, but we're not talking about San Fran right now. The Vikings are in immediate must panic right now. You do not want to go into the playoffs and face the Giants at the, at the sixth seed. You do not want New York coming into your building with you struggling this bad. That defensive front for the Giants is no joke. Saquon Barkley's not a joke. And for whatever reason, these backup receivers for the New York Giants have been able to get open, and they've been able to get Jan- Daniel Jones into a rhythm. So overall, I think the Packers and Lions game is going to be a must-see game for a win-and-get-in situation, and the Vikings next week are also in that same mentality. We need to win because they technically also still have an opportunity to get that first seed. But definitely an incredible game by that Green Bay defense. Not a joke. I mean, they've been showing it pretty much all year long, but it goes to show to win games, you don't always need to lean on Aaron Rodgers. And that's the thing, you know, what I focus with the Packers here. This was just a well-rounded performance from every single component of the team. Because, Kev, you know, I know we always focus on the the offense and the defense making plays, but I got to say, even their special teams came up with a huge play early in that first quarter. Because, I mean, let's kind of go over the game summary here. You know, the Vikings get off to a 3 nothing lead. And then immediately after, 10, 15 seconds later, the Packers run back a uh, a kick return for a touchdown. So now they're up 7-3. to three. And then five minutes uh, left in the first quarter, Kirk Cousins throws a pick six, and now the Packers are running and gunning. It's 14-3 to three. Uh, going into the second quarter. Th- just the Packers just kept piling it on. Uh, they tack on a field goal. I think Aaron Rodgers connected with Robert Tunyon, and then I think Mason Crosby got another field goal uh, basically at the end of the first half. 
Kev, it's 27 to three. Game's over. And there's no way that the Vikings are going to come back with the amount of turnovers that Kirk Cousins was having. Just the Packers run game was phenomenal. Uh, basically from the start of the game all the way to the end of it. And, you know, with it being you know this cold right now, you know, we're in January. And, like, this is where the Packers, they can really rely on the run game to get them points on the board and really just establish some consistent drives for the offense. It doesn't have to be all Aaron Rodgers here. And as far as I see it, with them, you know, having a huge matchup that's going to dictate that final wild card spot potentially uh, in the NFC, you know, the Packers are in a good space right now, especially with the fact that they've won four straight games uh, since, I would say, the beginning of December. And, you know, Kev, we talked about the Packers multiple times uh, over the last, I'd say, month, month and a half, where we didn't see their playoff chances being alive just because, you know, through September, and I would say all the way up until Thanksgiving, they hadn't really given us any reason to back them. They had been an inconsistent offensive team. Aaron Rodgers and the wide receivers that they have uh, in their wide receiving court, they just couldn't get the chemistry locked up. And despite the fact that the defense played pretty solid football, they just weren't able to get wins consistently. Well, they've finally been able to counteract that, and they've been finally putting up some dubs to get them back to what I could say is a respectable record. I'm not saying like they're a team that needs to be feared going into the playoffs potentially, but nonetheless, you know, to go from where they were a month ago to where they are at now, it is an impressive feat because there were a lot of people. I think Kev, we even talked about this a little bit about, you know, even some of their coaching staff could have been on the hot seat going into uh, the postseason had they not made uh, the playoffs, or I should say uh, the off season uh, to be more specific. But overall, you know, the Packers have a good formula here. And, you know, when it comes to this potential matchup we're going to see in Week 18 featuring the Packers and the Lions, it's going to be a good one. Now, to kick it to the Vikings, the Vikings are in panic mode as far as I see it. You know, they had the number two seed locked up. And with them getting absolutely smacked by the Packers in this manner, you know, we're going to see what, what this team is made of going into the playoffs potentially because... You know, when I look at the rest of the NFC right now, you've got the Cowboys to contend with. You've got the 49ers to contend with. You still have the Eagles to contend with. And to be quite honest with you, you could make a legitimate case that all those teams that I just mentioned are better than the Vikings, even though the Vikings had a better record for pretty much 90% of the, the season so far. The Vikings, I think that they're a sham. I, their defense is just not to be trusted. There have been multiple games, like you said, Kev, where they've given up 30-plus points where they've gotten absolutely smoked. And, you know, you look at what Kirk Cousins has done in games where they need him to step up. He has faltered. You know, that Cowboys game was just an absolute train wreck. You know, this was another one. I mean, against the Eagles at the beginning of the year. I know that was back in September. But nonetheless, he struggled. And when it comes to these big games where we see Kirk Cousins falter, he hasn't really given us much to work with. Outside of the one Patriot game, where I believe that was a Sunday night game, they they haven't been able to do that. Actually, I take that back. That was on Thanksgiving. That was on Thanksgiving night. But nonetheless, it's just a consistent theme with the Vikings. And I think a lot of it has to do with Kirk Cousins not being able to step up at the right time. I'm not saying that he can't play at you know consistently throughout the year, but when they need him to step up, he just doesn't do it. And then when it comes to the defense and the lack of consistency we see from that unit, 
man, there's a very good chance that the Vikings could get bounced out of the playoffs in the first round. I'm not putting that past them because I got to see Kirk Cousins perform in the playoffs and I got to see that defense perform up to snuff and they haven't done that consistently. So, you know, just to kind of round this out, I think the Packers, they're on a good little hot streak here. The momentum is definitely on their side. They got a huge matchup next week against the Lions. And when it comes to the Vikings, the Vikings got to get it together quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because, Kev, I think it's fair to say that this team is just, I don't think they're a team that is really feared by a lot of, by a lot of these NFC teams that are going to be potentially playing them in the playoffs. And I think a lot of it just has to do with Kirk Cousins' inability to play at the right time to play excellent football when they need him the most. And that defense is not to be trusted. So I'll leave it at that. But it's going to set up a huge Week 18 as far as I see it for both teams. I mean, no matter who they play, I know that mathematically it's not possible for them to go to the four seed. But let's let's look at the offenses that they would have to play right now. Philly's offense with Jalen Hurts, they're not stopping that in terms of Minnesota's defense. Dallas's, you got your, you got your ass whooped once. It's definitely going to happen again in the playoffs if that's the case. Then you obviously have the Buccaneers who show glimpses in this game. I would say that they're the weakest link offensively, potentially. That would be right next to the Giants because Daniel Jones has been inconsistent. But again, still viable offenses whenever they do feel like playing. Then you have... Oh, my God. Um, oh, then you have whoever's coming out in the seventh seed in either Detroit's offense, Green Bay's offense, or Seattle's offense. Those are some solid teams that can provide a little bit of a headache, you know, that can go out there and, and, and shock somebody. So it's like Minnesota's defense can't stay up, like I said, a cold. Yeah. You don't want any of these offenses if you're going into the playoffs. You definitely need a home game, which you're going to get for sure. But, man, I, I'm telling you, as a Vikings fan, shout out to my boy Jared, um, I don't necessarily know if I if I have faith in this team right now. That defense is horrid. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just kind of looking at the NFC playoff race right now. I mean, obviously we still have the Eagles at the number one seed. You know, the Vikings faltering. Oh, They're now the, at the I three seed. The 49ers. Seat. The 49ers at the two seed. I mean, that's a huge development, especially, you know, basically a month ago. When, when they get Debo back. Yeah. So, and I know he's he's going to be ready to rock and roll when it comes to the first week of the playoffs. He's going to be ready. You know, the Bucks have the four seed. That's That's pretty much locked up at this point. It's honestly going to be very interesting to see how this Week 18 plays out with the Cowboys. They have every reason to go out and try to get that potential number one seed if it works out for them. Obviously, they would. I think they have to get some help. Um, I don't know how it would work out if uh, the 49ers were to were to win, and then the Cowboys were to win, but the Eagles were to lose. I don't know how that whole scenario would play out because the Cowboys would be 13 and four, the 49ers would be 13 and four. And then the Eagles would be thirteen and four. So you doesn't that go teams. by interdivision record or winning percentage? I forget yeah, which I, one I, that is. I don't. I don't have the divisional records pulled up, but I, I would say probably the 49ers may get that number one seed. But I'd ha I'd have to look at it, look at it a little bit more. Uh, I would think that's how that works. But but nonetheless, you know, and to kind of kick it back to the Packers, uh, I think they would have to still get some help from Seattle. I think Seattle would have to lose that last matchup uh, in week. Uh, 18 uh, against the uh, who are they playing in uh, who are the Seahawks playing let me look this up just before uh, we go and say something stupid I was so literally the, about to do the same so the thing Seahawks, the Seahawks are going to play the Rams next week and as a it's home all game, divisional matchups to end the season there's a good chance that Seattle can get that last spot 
there's a good chance. So I'm not going to put it past them. But yeah, I will say just to kind of give credit where credit is due. You know, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they've kind of rounded back into form. This looks like a team that, you know, I'm not saying is to be feared, but you have to kind of keep a little bit of attention to them simply just because they've won four straight games. So compared to where they were a month and a half ago, that that's a complete reversal. So these are going to give oh, very Sa- San Fran, San Fran would get this 100%. They're 5-0 and in the division. And the, what's the Eagles' uh, divisional record? 6-2. and two. Oh, excuse me, 3-2. and two. Both of yeah. them 3-2. and two. San Fran would take the number one seed, especially because of winning percentage. If San Fran were to win and Philly were to lose, oh, no, winning percentage, actually, they'd all be tied because, actually, they're all right now seven, uh, 75% win percentage. Well, well, yeah, if there was a potential where all teams finish at 13-4, I think they would then go to a divisional tiebreaker. Yeah, and I think that that would mean San Fran would have to take it at that point, especially if they do end on the win streak. Like, if they win 10 in a row to close out the year, that's ridiculous. And with a third string quarterback and Brock Purdy winning a couple of those games at the end, Ooh. that would just be insane. And Kev, I, I know we'll talk about the 49ers in a little bit, but man, if the NFC has to go through San Fran, that's crazy. Playoffs, you know, a, a month ago, that would have been insane. Two months ago, that would have been insane. There's a very good chance that San Fran could run the table. I'm not going to put it past them. That, that, oh, team, 100%. That defense, that def- led that by def- D'Amico Ryans. Oh. Now, I know we'll talk about them in a little bit. They, exactly. So we they, actually got to get to your team. They, they gave up 34 points to Jared Stidham, who was a former Patriot quarterback. Pa- like, oh, here we go. Jesus. He's got to always find a way to circle it back to them. But it happens to be true. this segment next. So. so the AFC East showdown continues. Miami falters. New England wins by two. Tua Tungavailoa did not play. And arguably, Mac Jones had one of his better games of the season. No turnovers, two touchdowns, 200 yards passing. I said one of his better, not the best, but still. Clean football is what matters at this point in the season. So New England moves on to 8-8. Eight and eight. They now are fighting for that win-and-get-in situation. They need to beat Buffalo. And do you need Miami to lose next week as well? Nope. As long as the Patriots would win uh, against the Bills, the Patriots would lock up that last wildcard spot. We were literally talking about the Patriots just a few weeks ago and saying their playoff chances were done with their inconsistencies, and now they are in control of their own destiny to make it into the playoffs for back-to-back years in Mac Jones' first two seasons. So, Kyle, can the Patriots get this done and move in? And what are your thoughts on you guys struggling against two backup quarterbacks against the Dolphins? Well, a win is a win. But, man, it came ugly. You know, when it comes to the Patriots... I had faith that they could win against Teddy Bridgewater simply just because when Teddy Bridgewater has filled in for relief when Tua has been dealing with concussions this year, he just hasn't been able to do it consistently. And unfortunately for him, he suffered a, a finger injury, I think, on his throwing hand. I think that was the play in particular where he threw a pick six to Kyle Duggar, and um, they had to rely on a third string uh, to be able to get some plays for the Dolphins. But I mean, to focus on the game a little bit, you know, the Patriots defense, they stepped up once again. Like I said, you know, with Kyle Duggar getting a pick six, the Patriots defense this year has been the focal piece of this team. I believe they have like six or seven touchdowns that have come from the defense this year. That's how good New England's defense has been able to get. Not only are they getting turnovers, they're instantly getting those turnovers and converting them into points. And that's that's huge for them because when it comes to the Patriots this year and their offense, especially when it comes to the red zone, It has been very shaky. They're one of the worst teams that performs in the red zone. Their red zone efficiency is just absolutely abysmal this year. So, 
you got to give a lot of credit to the defense for being able to step up, make the plays that needed to be made, and then getting some points on top of that. And, you know, looking at the Patriots as a whole, they're just a very shaky team this year. And it's really all tied back to the offensive play calling and the inconsistency that we've seen from Mac Jones and the offense to a larger extent. I mean, yeah, this is a two-point win, but, you know, there's a lot of room left to be desired when it comes to the Patriots. Like, you know, you compare this team to what they were last year. They've definitely taken a st step back, and I think a lot of it just has to do with the coaching inconsistency on the offensive side of the ball. Now, going into the last week of the regular season, they got to play the Bills. There is no guarantee that the Bills are going to take this game off and, you know, they're going to let the Patriots just waltz right into the playoffs. I don't see that happening. So what I see happening uh, in Week 18 is going to be very difficult for the Patriots because as far as I see it, the Bills are not one of they're not only one of the best teams in the AFC, they're one of the best teams in the NFL. They have one of the more well-rounded teams in the NFL with Josh Allen at the helm. That defense is nothing to slight about. And the way that I see it is the, the Patriots have to play inspired football, basically at the minimum. They got to play their best game of the year going up against the Bills uh, this upcoming weekend. Because if they don't, they give teams like the Dolphins a chance to get back into it. The Steelers have a chance to get back into it. I mean, those are the two teams that are really vying for that last wild card spot outside of the Patriots. And they have every incentive to go ball to the wall in week 18. So, you know, when I look at the Dolphins, the Dolphins have been faltering the last month. They've lost five straight games. When it comes to the Steelers, they've won five out of their last six games. So, you know, when you look at the scenarios that all these teams have, you know, they got to go and play amazing football for themselves going into week 18. And then you just kind of live with the results. But when it comes to the Patriots and it comes to their playoff chances, I don't favor them here. I think if they were going up against a, a weaker opponent in the last week of the regular season, I would give them a chance. But with them going up against the Bills and the Bills have something to play for because that number one seed is not locked up yet in the AFC, I think the Patriots the Patriots are more than likely going to lose that last uh, regular season game against the Bills. And then I think it opens up the rest of the, uh, those AFC wildcard, uh, I'd say teams on the bubble, like the Steelers and the Dolphins, to potentially sneak in and get that last wildcard spot. So I think things are going to be very chaotic in the AFC wildcard race going into the last week of the year. But it is no guarantee that the Patriots are going to keep that number seven seed to get into the playoffs. And there's a very good chance that the Steelers or the Dolphins could sneak in to get that last spot based on how the Steelers have been playing the last couple of weeks. And when it comes to the Dolphins, the Dolphins need to find some sort of saving grace here at the end of the year because they, kept, they were 8-3 and three five weeks ago. They're not 8-8. Eight and eight. It's been an utter collapse from Miami. And, you know, for them to go from Tua potentially being the mid-season MVP to what this is right now, it's embarrassing. So... There's a lot in the line going into this last week of the regular season, and we'll just kind of see how things play out. But to answer your question, Kev, I probably answered it a bunch of times already. I don't have a lot of faith in the Patriots getting this dub against the Bills in the last week of the season, and there's a very good chance that they can miss the playoffs because of that. Well, I mean, you couldn't be given a taller task. I mean, to go out there and, and win, to get in against arguably the best team in the league, <laughs> is a, is a, is a pretty tall task for anybody, but then you go and you make it an AFC East rivalry. Just 
it, it, it makes it that much harder. But anyway, to focus really on this game, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Miami's starting 8-3, and three, or should I say they were 8-3 and three at one point to falter five in a row. It's just utterly atrocious. I mean, we have talked about this a multitude of times. Kyle and I have talked about this uh, privately and with multiple people. It's just... The Dolphins' schedule wasn't necessarily favorable, but it wasn't something where you were like impressed with what they were doing. So when they went on their little win streak, they beat the Steelers, who at the time were struggling and going in between um, Kenny Pickett and uh, Mitchell Trubisky. The Lions, the, who gave them a good game. The Bears, Justin Fields. The Texans, the worst team in the league. And then you look at the string of opponents they've played in the last five games, the competition was risen. The 49ers. Hottest team in the NFL. The Chargers, Justin Herbert, they haven't lost in about a month. The Bills, again, arguably the best team in the league. The Packers, on a resurgence that I have not expected, nor did anybody else, but that defense really solidified them to help win that game. And then you have the Patriots, who are also fighting for the same wildcard spot that the Dolphins are, and it's a divisional opponent. So it's like, wow. They have kind of gone through, a, I wouldn't say a gauntlet. The hardest games were probably those first three games because the Packers game was definitely winnable. And obviously this Patriots game, albeit you had two backups, still was possible to win. The Dolphins just weren't able to rise to the competition. Tua hasn't looked good. I know that he ha he's hurt and didn't play this game, but in the games that he was available, he didn't look very well at all. He didn't have a lot of touchdown passes. He didn't have a lot of... Uh, a lot of glimpses to show me that he could overcome the adversity. The defense was looking very suspect. I mean, Xavier Howard wasn't available. Bradley Chubb wasn't available for this game. Um, Armstead, the left tackle, wasn't available for this game. So, I mean, the Dolphins are legitimately just running on absolute fumes at this point to clinch uh, a playoff berth. And I'm actually going to agree with Kyle here. I think for whatever reason, Pittsburgh may be the team to snatch this up because for whatever reason, obviously you have the, the, the Patriots going against the Bills. The Dolphins going against the Jets, who have been eliminated, but have every reason to spoil the Dolphins to not get in. And that is going to be the pettiest of petty games because it's one of those situations where we could have won and we could have been in or could have won and helped our chances to go into a play-in game next week. And they fell and they lost to the Seahawks. And I think that Robert Sala and that defense are going to come at this, this Dolphins struggling offense and say, we're not letting you score. Like Sauce Gardner and that defense, are they're no joke. So I think that the Jets upset the... I wouldn't even say upset at this point, but I think that the Jets end up beating the Dolphins next week. And I think that this is going to fall solely on whether or not Pittsburgh is going to be able to get a win next week. So this is going to be a very, very, very tough fought fight for the... Uh, the final AFC wildcard spot. But to just kind of give credit to where credit is due, again, the Patriots won the game that mattered the most. Defense did what it needed to do. And again, like I said to start it, Mac Jones played clean football. For whatever reason, the last couple of games, the Patriots have not been able to run the football as effectively as they usually have. I mean, between Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, I really do like when the two of them get a good head of steam going early and when they get a consistency rolling in the first half. But for whatever reason, the Patriots aren't really going run heavy as they normally do. But here we are, and uh, I, I truly believe that the Patriots have an opportunity. But again, with you playing Buffalo, I don't necessarily think that that's going to be possible. But hey, kudos to you guys for staying relevant and not giving up when, when, when the adversity came. And you guys were up and down all year. So if you guys end up with a an 8-9 and nine record or a 9-8 and eight record and you get into the playoffs, I would say that how it ended is better than how it started for sure. Okay, but I know you haven't seen it yet, but if you had to guess... Well, who's favored between Buffalo and New England going into week 18? If you had to guess. Buffalo. Okay, now what do you think the spread is? 
So how much do you think Buffalo is favored by? No, no, no. I know. Uh, 14? It started at 8. So the spread's at 8. So they're basically saying that Buffalo's an 8-point advantage right now. That's a very random number. I would have preferred at that point (laughs) 7. Yeah. 14. Listen, I know I I was trying to be be realistic. It might be a little bit disrespectful. I know. I was trying to be realistic, but the way that you were saying it, like, guess, guess, like it was going to be crazy. Like, I I figured you wouldn't say that for something small, but you did. (laughs) That's not a small betting line. That's not. No, in terms of betting line, yes, but like when you think about it from a football perspective, I don't think about it from a gambling line because I don't I don't do spreads, overs, unders, and stuff. Like a seven point game isn't exactly a big, big difference, you know? Yeah. But usually when it comes to I mean, Kev, like even though like, you know, you see the betting lines, you know, we can pretty much accurately look at like, all right, how's this game gonna play out? Yeah. And the Bills, as far as I see it, there's a very good chance that they could win this by ten fourteen. Potentially even three possessions. I like. That's what I'm I saying. can definitely see that. But um, you know, on top of that, New England's got to travel to Buffalo, my guy. Oh, and we actually we actually have a a question in the chat. Uh, sports uh, PSP, or one of our big TikTok followers, asked us a question: Did Ron Rivera quit yesterday against the Browns, going with Carson Wentz? Actually, a really good question. I know we're not covering that game in the slate, but I mean, like for the sake of the conversation. I'm not going to say quit because I don't see Ron Rivera as a quitter. I think that he kind of maybe gave Taylor Heineke a little bit of a too quick of a judgment call, or too quick of a pull. I mean, he pulled them in a game that he only had one turnover. Um, I mean, he, I, I feel like he thought Carson Wentz was going to be a change in the dynamic to maybe give them something, uh, maybe his arm strength, maybe his dynamic at the line of scrimmage, maybe his mobile capabilities. I don't know. Uh, but against that Cleveland defense, I wouldn't have really had a problem with the substitution no matter what, personally, because I, Cleveland hasn't really done much of anything this year. But to kind of, I wouldn't say quit on the team. I think he quit on Heineke, which was a slap in yeah. the face. He put you in the position that you were in. And I think that that was disrespectful for you to just yank him as quickly as you did. And then, uh, you know, Carson Wentz is known to turn the ball over, especially when it matters the most. I mean, look at last year. When the, when we needed him to win as a Colts fan, um, that was former, former, painful to watch. For, former former Colts fan. right, 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 right. As someone who enjoyed the Colts at one point, um, it was it was definitely a struggle to watch. So I mean, Carson Wentz is just somebody that I can't trust with the game on the line. I'm not going to go and say that he's Kirk Cousins, but he could very well be worse because when you needed him most, he's like the Avatar. <laughs> that, that man vanished. So I mean, Kyle, I, I mean, I don't know how you want to answer that, but that's what I think. No, honestly, there's not much more that I could add to it. I think. I think to be honest with you, I think they just probably went with just a different look. I think Carson ended up getting picked off in like the first like three or four passes of the game. I think it was a pick six too. So, I mean, Kev, I mean, we've seen Carson once, you know, outside of the one season where he absolutely torched it for the Eagles. He's been inconsistent, you know, especially last year with the Colts wasn't somebody that you could rely on in big time moments. And this year with the commanders, it has been more of the same. So, yeah, I think if I had to just kind of like round it out with uh, Ron Rivera and his uh, coaching decision, I just don't think he had enough confidence in Taylor. And I think at no point did he think that I'm going to go with Taylor uh, in that game yesterday against the Browns. So you just have to live with the results. Uh, that was a winnable game, though. That was a winnable game 100%. for the Commanders. But, um, you know, you got to live and die with the results. So it is what it is. There's not much more that you could do uh, than that. But. Yeah, that was a that was a surprising uh, result yesterday. 
but uh, definitely for me. I mean, you know, we appreciate the question. Thank you for participating. I mean, you're the first question I think that we've gotten at least while I've been doing lives with Kyle ever. So <laughs> shout yeah. out to shout out to my boy there. We appreciate you. Oh, for sure. But um, no, I mean, as far as I see, Kev, um, we got another game to go over, and that yes, is going sir. to be. Uh, there's no other way to say it. This is a shootout. We get a shootout between the San Francisco 49ers and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, this game lived up to expectations. Um, even though that the Raiders have been an up and down team to say the least this year, they've been one of the more disappointing teams uh, throughout the entire uh, landscape of the NFL this year. Uh, they still put up points and they had a backup quarterback in Jared Stidham do relatively well, all things considered, but nonetheless, Brock Purdy, 49ers, they go on the road, and they get a huge win uh, to keep their win streak alive. And they still have a very good chance to get the number one seed in the NFC if things go their way with the Eagles faltering potentially in the last week of the regular season. So, Kev, I, I got to kick this one to you, my guy. With the 49ers winning basically every game over the course of the last two months, do you think that there's a very good chance that they could actually capture the number one seed going into the last week of the regular season if the Eagles screw around and falter in week 18? Without a doubt. I mean, they're playing the Rams. And I, I say that with the utmost disrespect. I'm not even trying to sugarcoat it. They're not good. They cannot compete with a team of this magnitude. The 49ers have every reason to go full throttle and annihilate them. It's a divisional matchup. You want to go 6-0 in the division every year because that's your goal. You want to be able to beat the people you see the most. And you also want to make a statement. We're going to win 10 in a row. We're going to solidify this number one seed. And the playoffs will have to run through San Francisco in the NFC. It's not a joke for them. I know Kyle Shanahan is very upset with how last season ended coming in coming short um, in the NFC Championship against the Rams. I think that for a sheer fact, he knows that he has the opportunity here with this defense. And even just to say Brock Purdy and this offense, he is able to do some creative things. It's not limited with Jimmy. It's not that it's Trey Lance with inexperience. I mean, because Brock Purdy's inexperienced too. They've been able to move the ball effectively. They've been able to lean on Christian McCaffrey, even without Debo. Brandon Ayuk has stepped up. George Kittle has stepped up. This defense has absolutely stepped up, minus today. I think San Fran is going to 100% go all in, smack up the Rams, and they just have to basically wait to see if Philadelphia can close the deal or not. If not, they will 100% lock in the two seed, but I think that it is 100% possible for them to potentially get the one. To talk about this game now... I watched the second half. I was driving through most of the first half. I was kind of like, you know, running errands with Isabel, and she was at my house. We were doing some other stuff, like trying to figure out how to decorate this damn office of mine. And um, I, I see how it's panning out, and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, how is this game anywhere near where it is right now? Like, San Fran was down for, for a good amount of that second half until they tied it at 24, I think, late in the third quarter. And I'm looking at the, the just the stat line. At one point, Jared Stidham was had over 300 yards. Well, I think he had 250, 260 with three touchdowns, no interceptions, nothing. He looked absolutely flawless. He was doing incredible things. He was making this 49ers defense look like a bunch of high school kids because he was just threading the needle, putting the ball everywhere it needed to be. And I mean, Devontae Adams, man, there's a reason why he's in the conversation for the best receiver in the league. He made probably one of the best catches all year where it hit his hand, hit the defender's hand, comes back in Devontae's hands as he's falling. He manages to get one arm under the ball, fall forward and tuck it to where the ball doesn't touch the ground, the ground, and it's a completion for 60 yards. 
it was insane. It was it was one of the craziest catches I've ever seen live on TV. And I mean, again, this is exactly why you go and you give him the money, you go and you trade for him because he can make plays like that to impact your offense. Sadly, it comes in a loss. I mean, the, the Raiders were able to run for over 130 yards on the ground. They threw for over 360 yards. But again, those two turnovers late sealed the deal. And that is why San Francisco is moving on to compete for the one seed. But let's not, sli- let's not slight it. Brock Purdy had a couple of moments where he had some arid passes. He had that interception. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the 49ers defense, again, like I had said, it was very suspect in a lot of different ways. And the Raiders very well could have taken this game away from San Francisco, and it would have been probably one of the biggest upsets of the season because we haven't seen San Fran allow points like this in months, like plural. So when you look at San Fran's schedule over the course of the last couple of weeks, you look at what they've been able to do. The Commanders held them to 20. Seahawks held them to 13. They held the Bucks to 7. Dolphins to 17. Donut Saints, 10 against the Cardinals, 16 against the Chargers, 14 against the Rams. Even in two losses, which was over two months ago. Oh, no, sorry. Never mind. I'm misreading. The loss was obviously when they had the, 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 the higher score was the other team. So, yeah, in their win streak, they have not allowed anybody to get close to this kind of magnitude on the offensive side of the ball. Jared Stidham looked like he carved him up. I wouldn't say it's panic mode for the Niners, but I would say it's, uh, hey, um, let's not let this happen again because if we want to win in the playoffs, we can't get into this lazy habit of letting bad teams beat us. So it was a great game. It went back and forth. Robbie Gold misses the freaking field with a 41-yard field goal to win the game before OT, and then they go all the way into overtime, and then Stidham throws the interception, and then they just kneel it down to kick the field goal, and... Here we are with the 49ers at 12-4, and four, but what a game. Definitely a lot better of a game than I would have anticipated for sure. Well, when it comes to the 49ers, I think, you know, the path is in their hands to a certain extent because obviously they would need some help uh, from the Eagles if they were to falter in that last matchup against the Giants. But when it comes to the 49ers going up against the Cardinals this weekend, I, I think it's going to be a runaway of a game. I mean, there's a very good chance that... You mean the Rams? The 49ers are playing the Cardinals. I thought you said the Rams. They're playing the Cardinals. What? what? You literally said the Rams. Like, Not really. shit. Yeah, you did. You said they're playing the Rams to close it out. No, I think I think Seattle's playing the Rams. Oh. Well, they're going to mop the Rams anyway. They'll make, excuse me, they're going to mop the Cardinals regardless. So correct everything I said. Just flip it to the Cardinals. I'm not changing anything because the Cardinals are even worse than the Rams are because for whatever reason, Baker Mayfield is turning this around at least to make them look relevant to some extent. The Cardinals are like their fifth quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's a tire fire with, with the Cardinals at this point. But no, I mean, to get back on track, I mean, the 49ers have a very good chance uh, to possibly get that number one seed. And if they were to, I mean, they would have to go on a 10-game win streak. It would just be absolutely insane for them to close out the regular season in the manner of winning 10 straight games, despite all the issues that they, they've they had with injuries at the quarterback spot, at the wide receiver spot with Debo Samuel missing the last couple of games. It would just be outright phenomenal as far as I see it. And, you know, when it comes to what the 49ers could do potentially in a playoff scenario, if they were to get the number one seed. Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you. I did. I did. They, they could run the table with how this defense has been playing. Granted, they didn't have their best performance against the Raiders. That goes without saying, you know, you give up 30 plus points to a backup quarterback in Jared Stidham, who was basically a career backup with the Patriots. That's not a good look, but 
as far as I see, I think that this defensive performance from the 49ers was a fluke. I don't think that this is something that we're going to see consistently uh, in next week's game against the Cardinals or when they get into the playoffs where the 49ers are going to give up 30-plus points against an opposing team. I just don't see that happening. Uh, this defense is no joke. I mean, they've got stars at every level of that defense. And then when you kick it to the offense, Brock Purdy has maintained the ship in the right direction. And he's done relatively well, all things considered. When you look at what he's done since he's filled in relief for Jimmy, he hasn't been the reason why they've lost a the game yet. They haven't lost a game yet. So as far as I see it, he's not doing anything to disturb the trend that they're on right now. And I think for him being the last pick in the draft uh, last year, I think he's done extremely well under the circumstances. And not having Debo Samuel, basically the number one target for that offense, and yet still keep keeping things going in the manner that they have, I think that this team is a potential Super Bowl team as far as I see it. And I think we've always had that expectation with the 49ers, despite the fact that there have been times where they have faltered. I, I remember they, they went on a stretch where I think they lost like two games in a row. They, they lost to the Falcons. Uh, they lost to another team that I think was relatively subpar. But, I mean, they have not looked back since. I mean, they have just gone pedal to the metal. And, you know, for them, like I said, to go on a 10-game win streak going into the playoffs would be nothing short of phenomenal. And I imagine every team would probably be shaking in their boots knowing that they have to go to San Francisco, potentially, if they were to get the number one seed for that playoff stretch. That's going to be a difficult scenario for a lot of these playoff teams, um, especially teams for, like, I think the Cowboys would have issues. I think the Eagles would have issues. I think a lot of teams would have issues against the 49ers simply just because that defense, they just don't give up a lot of points consistently. Yeah, this one game against the Raiders was a bad look. I think it was a fluke. I think they'll return to form next week against the Cardinals. And I think that Cardinals game for them from a defensive perspective, I think it's going to get their momentum back on their side. And look, I mean, if they get the number one seed, they'll get the first week off. They'll get to recover a little bit. They'll recover from some dings and some bruises uh, throughout the regular season. And then we'll see what happens when it gets into the playoffs. But Man, if you told me a month ago that the 49ers could potentially be getting the number one seed in the last week of the regular season, I thought you would have been crazy. I thought the Eagles would have locked that thing up by like week 15, week 16. But with the Eagles faltering of late, the 49ers maintaining uh, their winning ways, it's up in the air, my guy. It Really, that number one seed is at stake, and the 49ers have a very good shot to get it. I'm not going to look past it uh, when it comes to them getting that number one seed before we close out the regular season. Dude, I, I'm i stuck with how this is even completely possible because it's just like they had a couple games early on where they just looked like, what the hell is happening? You know, like I'm a big Jimmy Garoppolo supporter and there were some games where Jimmy didn't look the greatest and there were some games where this defense was like, I mean, they gave up 44 to Kansas City. Granted, it's Kansas City, but still it was like, I thought this defense was going to be a lot better than this. And then you go and you give up nine weeks later your first 30-point performance. I think they were able to turn it around. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, man, I, I can't really understand how this happened. I'm, I'm excited because, you know, I, I love me some defensive football. And when you see everybody swarming and forcing turnovers, that makes a quarterback's job, especially a backup backup, like a third-string backup, which is essentially what Brock was. It makes their life so much easier if they know that if they were to make a mistake, not get a first down, it's not going to kill them. Like their defense isn't like Minnesota's where it's like, if you don't score every possession, you're screwed. You can lean on Fred Warner 
Joe, uh, Nick Bosa and a couple of those boys to make sure that you're, they're like, yo, I got you. Don't worry about it. Just get it on the next one. And that is a massive mental relief for a younger quarterback. So this team is very well-rounded in what they're able to do from offense to defense to special teams. I mean, Robbie Gold, I know he missed a field goal yesterday, but he's one of the more consistent kickers in the league at his age. And, you know, if you, if it comes down to it, I'm pretty sure they would trust his leg. And uh, again, they, they, they're very, very, very complete. And if they were to run the table and go to a Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised. If anything, this shows that Kyle Shanahan is able to do this with a multitude of different people because he did this with Jimmy last year. He went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy. He was going to start the season off with Trey, so we don't necessarily know how that was going to go. Even with the disgruntled relationship with Jimmy to start the year off, they still found a way to win up to this point. And now they're in a third-string quarterback, and they're still winning, like, Aside from D'Amico Ryans, who probably will become a head coach in the NFL next year, if not rightfully deserves to be in the next couple of seasons, Kyle Shanahan has showed he is a very consistent coach, and he is a very good leader to assist through all of the ups and downs with this organization and all of the ups and downs with all the injuries that they've had for the last couple of seasons. And they showed they were aggressive at the deadline when they wanted to make a move for, for, for CMC. So shout out to Shanahan and the 49ers organization for not only staying relevant, but dominating the opposing teams that they've come up against over the last two months. Yeah, Kev, I honestly couldn't have said it better than that. I honestly, you stole all my thunder for any sort of. Sorry. No, no, honestly, I think as far as I see it, they're in the driver's seat. And with the momentum that they've gained with winning these last nine games, potentially going to 10 uh, before we close out the regular season, this is a team to be feared. The 49ers are no joke, despite the fact they have a third string quarterback in Brock Purdy. I don't see any sort of hindrance unless, you know, Brock starts turning the ball over to where this team can't run the table. I think they have a very good shot to do that. And and it's really based on Brock playing well. And I think that defense is elite. And honestly, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, So with that said, you guys, we are going to transition to some NBA topics. Uh, We're going to focus on Luka Doncic first. So we get to talk a little bit about Kevin's team and, I know that Kev kind of has a little bit of a love-hate relationship with Luka um, throughout his first couple years in the NBA, but Kev, I don't think that's the case right now. Luka has been absolutely cooking. Uh, The last five games, he's just been absolutely tearing it up. He has 250-plus performances. In one of those games, he dropped 60. He's just been on an absolute tear. Three 50-point performances, because one of them was 60. (laughs) I take it back then. There you go. But nonetheless... Uh, we definitely got to talk a little bit about Luka Doncic. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how would you assess Luka Doncic in his recent stretch where he's just been absolutely dominating for the Dallas Mavericks? I mean, he thinks that the rim is this big. Um, there's not really much else to say. I mean, it, it, the man is shooting at a very efficient clip, at a, a very effective clip. And, I mean, to go over the last five games, like Kyle and I said, against the Rockets, 50. Lakers, 32 on Christmas. Uh, against the Knicks, 60, 21 rebounds in 10. First game in NBA history to have that happen. And then the Rockets again, 35. And then against the Spurs the other night, 51. Three 50-plus games in a five-game span. I don't have arguments here. I cannot critique somebody that is putting up this many points. I mean, he broke the Dallas Mavericks franchise record for most points in a game. Dirk had 53 against the Rockets, I think, in 2005 or six. He had 60. Luka had 60. Um, I think he's also passed Dirk for the most 40-point games in Mavericks history. 
I don't know the totals of that one, but the fact that he's five years in and he's passed Dirk's records is ridiculous. Pretty sure he's either tied or is right behind Dirk for most 50-point games in Mavericks history, which I know he scored a 50-point game last year, and now he's got three of them and a 60-point game. So he's coming up right behind Dirk uh, quickly for all of these immediate records. I mean, I'm pretty sure he passed Michael Finley uh, just the other day for most team assists, or excuse me, for most assists as a Dallas Maverick, which is another record that that he's cracked the all-time top 10 internally as a franchise, which is crazy. But Luka is seeing the ball, or should I say, Luka is seeing the rim in a manner that I don't think he's ever seen in his career. He's shooting with confidence. He is not only getting involved with other players, because in that stretch, he's also averaged well over 10 assists. He's had 10, 9, 10, 13, and 9. So he's definitely averaging double-digit assists in this series, or in this sequence of games. And then rebounding, I mean, for, for God's sakes, he had 21 rebounds in one game. And Again, 60, 21, and 10, never been done in NBA history. That's the entire league's history for anybody that doesn't understand. Um, he may not be the most efficient shooter from the three-point line, but he has increased his three-point percentage. I think Kyle told me earlier, 36.7%, which is a career high, and is above league average, so I will give him credit there. And he has been effective on defense, getting in the passing lane, finding ways to disrupt shots. I mean, in, in all of these games, he's had 3-2, two, 2-1, two, and 4 in terms of steals, and he's even had blocks in a lot of these games as well. So he's playing efficiently on both ends of the floor. He is complaining still. I mean, you can see that he's still just one of those people that are going to chatter and just complain the entire time. But in this stretch, uh, it's it's not to any avail. It's not making a difference. The only negative that I will say that it doesn't necessarily have to do with him directly is the fact that we are not really blowing these teams out. I mean, we came back against the Lakers. We beat the Knicks by, I think, four points. We beat the Spurs by one point. Um the other night we blew out the Rockets. I mean, like those are the games where it's like, all right, like, you know, you got to beat bad teams like Houston, but we have to find a way to be better defensively as a, as a team, as an organization. But when we're led by somebody that just is, is dropping consistent 30 plus games, like every other game, if not every game, we're going to need to help them out. And I know that Christian Wood, since been inserted into the starting lineup, has been exceptional. I know that Spencer Dinwiddie has been playing great. Tim Hardaway's kind of like up and down as of recently. Dorian Finney-Smith is hurt. Maxi Kleba is hurt, two of our better defenders. So I know that when they get back, I know that this team is going to find a way to turn around on the defensive side. But right now, offensively, I don't think anybody can guard this man. Shout out to Luca for the historic run that he's on right now with 350-point-plus games in the last five. But, man, I'm just happy that the team is winning. I think we're on a five- or six-game win streak, and we are, I think, fifth or fourth in the Western Conference. Yeah, Kev. Honestly, I was just going to round it out with saying, it's like, yeah, the Mavs are on a six-game winning streak. Um, I believe they're five games over 500. Um, 21 and 16, yeah. Yep. And as far as I see it, you know, Luca's putting himself in an MVP discussion. I mean, the guy's averaging 34 points a game. I mean, he's absolutely killing it. I know that, you know, speaking as a Mavs fan for you here, uh, you'd like to see a more convincing win strategy as far as, like, them winning these games by a larger margin. But, you know, based off of what the personnel issues with the injuries that they have mostly pertaining to the defensive side for the Mavs here. I think, look, if you're able to pull some wins here, get into a little bit of momentum when those guys are able to come back from injury, I think you guys are going to be in a good space. So, you know, there is kind of that, that, that log jam that you have in the Western conference from like the four to like the nine seed. There's not really much. uh, There's really not much separating a lot of those teams. It may only be like, if I'm looking at the records, I mean, the Mavs have a 21-16 and 16 record. They're the four seed. 
and the Warriors are 19 and 18, and they're the ninth seed. So, like I said, that, that logjam in like that middle portion of the Western Conference right now, it, it's real. Like, there's no doubt about it. But as far as I see it, just to kind of round it out with the Mavs here, I think it's safe to say that uh, the Mavs are in a good space right now, but they can't falter because there's some teams like the Clippers, the Kings, and the Suns that could definitely uh, start nipping at their heels if the Mavs falter. But as far as Luka, I mean, Luka's killing it. And, you know, when you basically put up like 50, when you put up three 50-point performances, one of them being 60 points in the last like five or six games, he's killing it. It's like you said, like that rim is just like, it is wide open for him. He's just shooting it up and not even thinking twice about it. So, you know, good on Luka for, you know, being this effective. And they're definitely going to need him to be that, you know, going into the rest of the month and then into February and March. So, you know, we're hitting that halfway point of the season. So we're definitely going to see some teams start ramping up and try to make a run so they can put them in a better position going into the last quarter of the season. But this is this is a good stretch for a lot of these teams to make some moves uh, going into essentially 2023. Absolutely. And that's going to perfectly transition us into, conveniently, not only Kyle's team, but the man that Luca emulates his game after in LeBron James. And we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers and the run that LBJ has been on. LeBron James just turned 38 on December 30th. LeBron James is in the 20th year of his career. He just went out and dropped 47 points, 10 rebounds and 9 assists against the Atlanta Hawks on his birthday. And he is just on pace to have a historic year for somebody of that age in this year of his career. So Kyle, to pose this one to you, what the hell's happening with LeBron James? Has he found the fountain of youth or is he just fed up with the Lakers losing? I think, honestly, it's probably yes to both of your questions. Um, you know, LeBron is having one of the more efficient stretches that I've seen in his Lakers tenure. Obviously, you know, the biggest caveat that comes along with it is it's not translating into wins because, Kev, I mean, let's face it with the Lakers. They're they're tied for the third worst team in the Western Conference right alongside the Thunder. I mean, just to kind of put the record out there, the Lakers are sitting at 15-21 and 21 right now. They're six games under 500, and... Granted, LeBron is doing his thing. I can't slight him in any way about it. Like He is going out there, and he is providing the Lakers what they need to do to win games consistently. It's just the rest of the unit is just faltering. And, you know, with AD being out and definitely with a, stre- with a stress fracture in his foot, this is going to have to be a LeBron-led team to get them potentially back into some sort of playoff scenario here. But, you know, just to kind of talk about LeBron, and his impact that he brings, despite being 38 years old. Kev, I think it's safe to say that LeBron might be one of the most efficient players that we've ever seen in NBA history, simply just because he has maintained this level of play for so long. And despite the fact that he's gone through a couple injury stints or some injury stretches with the Lakers, and that's one thing that's actually been really positive about LeBron's career is his availability. He just finds ways to still put points on the board. And Kev, I don't really see a precipitous drop-off in his play. Yeah, there may be some nights where he's just not knocking down shots. And, you know, maybe this is in a point of his career where he's just kind of focused on maybe pulling up for threes more often in his career instead of uh, focusing on some mid-range shots. But, I mean, he could still drive to the lane extremely effectively. It's just the guy's a machine. And, 
you know, being 38 years old, like you said, Kev, I don't think we've ever really seen anybody at this age play at this level this consistently in NBA history. I mean, you could look at some guys in the past when they were around this age. I think Kobe at 38 years old was already retired. I think Dirk Nowitzki was probably on his last legs if he was even playing at this age. Uh, Tim Duncan was probably already retired at the age of 38. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in his uh, NBA career, he was, I mean, before LeBron came into the league, he was probably one of the more consistent players that we'd ever seen in NBA history. He wasn't performing at this type of clip. And you could look at Michael Jordan. Uh, Michael Jordan was basically a shell of himself uh, at this age when he was playing with the Wizards. He could play consistently and maybe get like 15, 20 points, and then maybe have a good game where he gets like 30, 35 but for LeBron to basically drop 50 points at, on his birthday at 38 years old and while still maintaining around 28 points per game, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, if the Lakers had a better record in the Western Conference, you could definitely make a case that he'd be in the MVP discussion. But with them being essentially at the bottom of the barrel in the Western Conference, that's just not the case right now. I know LeBron is giving it his all. I'm, I'm not questioning uh, his effort when it comes to just putting points in uh, in the bucket. But overall... You know, LeBron just has found a way to just maintain his consistency. And they're definitely going to need it. You know, with AD being out, you know, potentially for the next couple of weeks, maybe even a month or two, they're going to need him to go out there and consistently put up 30, 35 points. The only, the only bad part associated with that is he's going to have to play, you know, 35, 40 minutes a game. And, you know, being at 38 years old, the wear and tear, it definitely takes a bigger effect on somebody who's that old compared to somebody who's in like their mid to late 20s. So, you know, for LeBron, he's on a great stretch right now. We'll see if he can continue it. I have the faith that he can, but the guy's a machine, you know, and I'm not going to get into a whole GOAT argument, you know, with him going up against Jordan or anything like that. But when it comes to his longevity and the consistent level that he's been playing at, what can I say? The guy's a machine. The guy's one of the best players in NBA history, and he's still playing it at the age of 38. It's just absolutely phenomenal as far as I see it. You can't make any argument against it. Like, like I'm trying to think of like something that can poke a hole in it. There's nothing. I mean, he spends millions of dollars on his body every offseason. Mm-hmm. You never see him consistently at a club. Granted, he may go like every now and then, like birthday, New Year's, like big holidays, like but like those are celebrities. Like cel- like that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's a celebrity. Like, at the end of the day, if they were to go out religiously, it's like they have the money to do it. It's not like they can't afford it. It's just not good for their body. But again, you never see LeBron James consistently out there with that younger crowd clubbing, bouncing out, going to all these different functions. Exactly. He's not consistently at the strip club. I was also struggling to think of an athlete, and I hate James Harden, and that's probably why I have him out of my mind. Um, In general, LeBron James does everything right. Like, he's like the NBA's golden child because he is just always available whenever he is. And when he is, he's at the top of his game. He's not a toxic teammate. Everybody speaks volumes of this guy. And I mean, for 20 years in three organizations, two of them being the same stint with the Cavaliers or a second stint with the Cavaliers. I mean, I don't know anybody that dislikes the guy. Seriously. I mean, like, I really don't know a teammate that can speak ill of him, maybe other than Kyrie Irving or something like that because of how that ended. But, uh, I mean, you you just think of what LeBron James has been doing for 20 years. and, And now he's... 38 and dropping almost damn near 50 to, to keep an organization illustrious organization at that and the lakers afloat and by afloat i mean like barely like they're like river floating like with like a, a a piece of ply with like a two by four and they're just holding on together like the banana boat has deflated 
it doesn't exist anymore. They're using like whatever shrapnel is left of the Lakers organization in front office. But besides that, LeBron's on a great pace. He's doing something that we've never seen before. And more than likely, by the end of the year, he will pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most points scored in NBA history. That is another feat that people are going to have to respect in terms of LeBron James' legacy. So we're watching history. And again, it's like we said with Kobe and Dirk. We need to appreciate this while we still have it because in the next couple of years, if he were to take a decline, whether that's to save his body to play with Bronny, to save his body to play with both his sons, I think that LeBron James is is, is not coming off that peak because we keep saying that about Tom Brady. Like, is this it? Is this the cliff? These guys just keep playing, and it looks like that fountain of youth is pretty much endless. So I'm, I'm as, as a LeBron disliker, I can't say hate anymore. As someone that doesn't necessarily cheer for him outright, um, I'm, it, it's a pleasure to watch. I watched that Mavs game on Christmas, and that was that man was getting buckets at any at, at, at any point in time without any hesitation. Nobody could stop him on that Mavericks team, and I'm pretty sure the Hawks felt that same wrath, if not that much more. So uh, shout out to Braun, man. You know, happy belated, 20 years in the in the league, man, still doing what he's doing, four championships. It's it's crazy. Well, you know the interesting thing about LeBron potentially knocking off Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the number one spot in, in points scored in an NBA career. I think, well, it's going to happen. It's just whether or not it's going to happen, you know, well, I think it's going to happen this season. It's just when it's going to happen. I think he's right. still what, like 500, 550 points away, maybe somewhere around like 600, somewhere within that range. Uh, that's how many points he has left to go to catch Kareem. And Kev, to be quite honest with you, I think that's going to be a record that is going to stand for quite some time. Because I don't know anybody off the top of my head that could really threaten it outside of maybe Kevin Durant. I mean, Katie, Katie's a scorer, but Katie only has 26,000 points. You know, Kareem has what, like 38,000? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Katie's going to be able to do it. I don't and, know. And, and Katie's health has, has always been something to kind of question. But, you know, and to be quite honest with you, I, I don't even think Kevin Durant even really cares about that. No. He's just going to go out there and hoop regardless. I, you know, maybe maybe Luka could be somebody that could potentially rival that record one day, but that's going to be 15, 20 years down the road. I, I mean, to be quite honest with you, Kev, I think that that's going to be a record that is going to stand for probably at least 10 to 15, 20 years. I don't think that record's going away anytime soon if LeBron is able to eclipse Kareem's record. And, and to be quite honest with you, Kev, I think that that could be one of the more impressive feats that we've ever seen in professional sports. Yeah, because that that record has stood for what almost thirty five years, or at least thirty. I don't remember the year that Kareem retired. I know it was in the eighties. I think I think it was in the eighties, but yeah, I, th I think LeBron could hold on to that record for a long time, and I think that that would definitely be a uh, a worthy celebration of LeBron's career. And I mean, LeBron's legacy, I mean, is cemented at this point. I mean, he's one of the greatest players in NBA history. I mean, depending on who you ask. He's the greatest of all time, depending depending on who you ask. But I think that would just be like one more little final milestone that he could uh, eclipse, you know, Kareem's uh, record. That would just be absolutely phenomenal as far as I see it. But Kevin, I think we got everything knocked out, my guy. I think we pretty much ran the table on the agenda. And unless you could think of anything else. Floor is yours. I mean, wrapped up I'm 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 just thinking. Uh, oh, I don't want to do a whole a whole segment on them on the night on the on the college the football playoffs. playoffs and the playoffs. Yeah, man, those games were. I saw both. Those games were entertaining as hell. Both of them. 
Like, and I mean, like, TCU was up by almost three scores, if not three scores at one point. Michigan claws back. I mean, it, it was that, that first game was crazy. My brother's a TCU fan. Don't ask me why. He loved LaDainian Tomlinson as a child, found out that's where he went to college, and said, That's a school I like. He has been a TCU fan since he was in high school, if not younger. So my it brother was, was going ape shit during this game. And he was at work for the first half. So he was just texting me, and I was like, Dude, you need to pay attention to work. He was like, I don't care about my job, okay? TCU might go to the national championship. I was like, you know what? I I, I can't argue with you. I'd do the same thing. Who would have thought TCU would have found themselves in a national championship situation? Who would have thought? Dude, I I mean, listen, I'm not going to go out there and say I picked TCU because I definitely picked Michigan. I didn't expect it to be the game that it was. I definitely did not expect it to be a shootout of this magnitude, especially with Michigan having some of the best, one of the best defenses in the country. But for whatever reason, man, they... Michigan was turning the ball over early. That led to, 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 to points on the TCU side. And I mean, it was just, it was incredible. I enjoyed this game very much. I mean, like it was legitimately score, turnover, score, score, turnover, score, like back and forth, over and over. I mean, just to kind of go back and forth, like, right? So check it out. So it was 21 to six at half in favor of TCU. The third quarter alone had 44 points between both teams. Crazy. absolutely insane this is why people love college football yep. like it's just games like this you're just like oh my god what the hell what like it, it you don't have anything to say but sit there with your hands over your head like i can't believe this is happening but man that didn't disappoint and then of course georgia coming within a sliver sliver of getting upset i know tyree is sick salty. i know tyree I is sick too. i would be too and the fact that that's what ryan day decided to do in that, like, you run the ball on first down, stupid. Your second pass play was just, that, 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 that was not a good decision on Stroud's part to throw that. And then on third, it, you get a couple of scrum yards to make la- up. Are you, talk- are you talking about their last The last drive? sequence, yes, that last drive. Those last three plays, you are, this is, again, this is college football. So to me, if you're not within the 30, if you're at the 30 and beyond, it's not a good choice. It's, it's college kickers to me just they don't do 50 yarders at least not consistently enough like they do in the nfl anything with outside of the 30 is stupid to me you're indoors there's no reason why so they run the ball they lose a yard then they pass the ball incomplete pass then they pass the ball again and they get like three yards and you're like at the 30 31 and it becomes like a 51 53 yarder 58 yard field goal i think it was actually no they it, wasn't attempted. That far. it wasn't that far are you it sure w- yeah it wasn't that far I think it was like 52, 53. Mm, hold on, hold on. End the I game. Think, I think they kicked it around like the 35-yard line. It was Missed somewhere around goal. there. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to, we're going to. It wasn't a 58-yarder. That'd basically be from the 40. 50, 50, 50. Sorry. I was outside on the lanai, um, so I was looking at a far at a far TV screen. Dude, excuse me. I was even wrong. So they, they ran the ball for a loss. Incomplete, incomplete. So they had third and 11 or fourth and 11 to kick the field goal. I'm it's sorry. Like, I'm, not, I'm not running the football there with Georgia's defense. I'm just not. Yeah, I would have just gone three straight pass plays. Um, whether anything, they were slants, whether they, they were, they were um, sideline passes, you didn't have any timeouts to go over the middle of the field. So I, at, at I, the end I, of the I day, they had, time, they had timeouts. No, if, if they're incomplete passes, they didn't have timeouts. They had no timeouts to end the game. They had nothing. Ohio State did not have timeouts. I don't think that that was the case. I think they had all their time. I think they had two timeouts left. No, look, look, look. I'm looking at the thing right now. 
when they started that drive, Stroud for five yards, Stroud again for another 12 yards, runs for 27, Georgia timeout at 24 seconds left. A run for a loss of one, one timeout, called by Ohio State, that was it. They had one timeout left on that drive. When they lost I, that yard, I, they had I no timeout. I think they had two. I think they had two when that drive started. I believe they had two. When the drive oh. started, they had one. Oh, they had one? Okay. Because I'm I'm two. looking at I'm looking at it. There were no timeouts called other than their one left. Unless they only decided to use the one. So Well, unless the yeah, unless yeah, okay. Well nevertheless. I thought that was a bad play call for those final three. I didn't like, I, I, I'm not an offensive coordinator. I'm not a genius. But when you're looking at where you are in the field, mm-hmm. I just did not agree with the run first at all. Mm-hmm. And then the, 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 the two pass plays that they had, to, they had drawn up, it just, I didn't get it, man. You're right there. Give your kicker a chance. Don't put him outside yeah. kicking 50 yarders, man. You just don't do that, especially in college. Yeah, and he shanked well, it so hard. It, it was so bad. It was it, it was an utter like atrocious it, kick, dude. It was like as it left his foot, like as the ball was making contact with his foot, it, it started turning that way. Yeah, it, it was it, the definition of a shank. If you guys didn't see it, you're supposed to kick the ball in between the two goalposts. He kicked it wide enough left to where there were two separate goalposts side by side, like a distance. To where it, it, it wasn't, dude. It, there was no net. It hit a fan. Yeah. <laughs> there was no, there was no block. Whoever kicked that ball, that that fan got a free football. I think it was that was atrocious. The, the kicker's name is Noah Ruggles. Well, you're gonna ruggle yourself back to Ohio State, like with that, L. bro. That was bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one thing if you miss it by like, you know, like a foot or two, but when you miss it by like, damn near like 10, 15 yards, that's just you just can't have that. I mean, it wasn't a 60-yarder. It wasn't, like, impossible. It was 50 on the dot. He, he had just made a 48-yarder two and a half minutes to go in the game. So, yeah, man, that's a tough it's loss, like, it's man. Like, it's like I said, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying kicking is easy. I'm not yeah. saying I could have done better. Yeah. None of these things. But okay. when you talk about collegiate and pro kicking, there is a vast difference in skill, vast difference. I mean, okay. for God's sakes, they're talking about 20-some-odd yards for extra points. They moved it back for the pros to be 33 yards mm-hmm. because it was too easy. They're yeah. challenging them. So collegiate kickers got to step up. I'm just saying. You know the crazy thing? Ohio State was up 38-24 to 24 at the end of the third quarter. Georgia came back, man. 18-3 to three in the fourth. Shout so, out that boy Stetson. That boy's no joke. Mm-hmm. He made some plays, bro. He made Bennett, right? Plays. Bennett Stetson? Or Stetson yeah, Bennett? Uh, Stetson, Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett. Kid's so, nice. I think he's like 23 or 24. He's a, he's an old senior. Yeah. Yeah, he's I, he's like a fifth or sixth year senior or something like that. I, it's kind of crazy. But nonetheless, P- I mean. Potentially back-to-back we, national champion if they beat TCU. TCU and uh, Georgia is going to be a pretty good uh, national championship. I'd have to favor Georgia, though, just on first look. Hey, the the fact that they struggled this much against Ohio State, not to discredit uh, Georgia at all. Uh, dude, if TCU was able to do that against one of the better defenses in the country in Michigan, I know that Georgia's got a different breed of a defense coming from the SEC, mm-hmm. but I don't know, man. This could be competitive. I mean, Georgia's got to obviously wake up. But I, want I, 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 want, I want TCU to win. 
I want my yeah. brother to experience a national championship. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be yeah, especially when I don't think it was really expected. I don't know. It, well, that had. and then you know Georgia was about to lose, so it's like they hang on by a thread now to go against a team that they favored to want to do that against. Like mm-hmm. everybody said, like the better of the outcome would have been Georgia versus TCU for the easier matchup because if it was Michigan versus Georgia, two good defenses, two decent offense, you know what I'm saying? Like. Everyone, everyone that's a Georgia fan is like thrilled. They're like, "Oh, TCU is a way easier matchup than Michigan." Michigan thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, and now they got to carry the L back to Ann Arbor. So, yes, sir. Jim Harbaugh, new coach of the the Indianapolis Colts. We shall see. I don't know if that's going to change anything, though. Hell no, ain't going to change shit. That was complete complete sarcasm. But anyway, guys, it's twenty twenty three. We hope you had an incredible New Year's Eve. 2022 is behind us. Let's remember it and build off of that to have a better 2023 as a whole. I mean, the podcast had incredible growth, 246 subs. We were four short of our goal of having 850 by the end of the year. But the fact that we're at this 846, excuse me. The fact that we're at this point right now is, is incredible to the both of us. I mean, we have seen such growth, success. We've had so much fun. It's been rough with both of us having jobs and personal lives and whatnot, but the grind is so much worth it. It's so worth it. When we see the results that we're getting, audio, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, whatever platform you guys are supporting us on, we cannot express enough gratitude. And again, like I say a lot of times, if it wasn't for my partner, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that we do. So shout out to Kyle and everything that he's able to do on the editing side and scheduling a lot of these things. So um, let's hope that 2023, we kill it, bro. Yes, sir. Um, I Honestly, I couldn't have said anything more than that. Kevin, I think you pretty much hit it on the head as far as I see it. Um, I say it every time we wrap up an episode, obviously we just appreciate you guys tuning in and giving us a chance, whether it's listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube. I know that this one was a little bit different since we did it on YouTube live. Kev, I was able to fix out the whole YouTube thing. So that, that, that whole feed should be live at this point, but gotcha. nonetheless, um, yeah, we got a lot in store for 2023. We hope that you guys, uh, stay tuned and pay attention to what we have coming down the pike for you guys. And we'll just kind of see where 2023 plays out but i mean going into what we have uh, upcoming for our next episode obviously we'll do uh, a week 18 preview of some really big games they're going to have playoff implications in the nfl we'll obviously try to wrap up uh some college football uh playoff talks as well we got the national championship i believe not the ninth yeah so uh we'll probably preview that game on friday as well um we do have a really good monday night game tonight uh, between the Bengals and the Bills. Uh, we already pre-recorded a segment on our last episode on that, so there will be a segment about that preview coming out later today, so definitely stay tuned for that. And then if we have some NBA topics to discuss, obviously we'll go over on that with uh, with a Friday episode. But, Kev, I, I got nothing more to say from here, bro. Um, 2023 is off and running, and let's get it going. But the floor is yours, my yes, guys, to close it out. All right. Well, guys, have a great rest of your day. Happy New Year again, and we'll see you guys on Friday. All right. Take it easy, you guys. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today.
electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast.